This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, this is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Last week, we embarked on a six-part series podcast on restoration of the African drylands. In case you missed the first part, introducing the drylands, please visit www.africaclimateconversations.com. As I told you, the restoration of the African drylands series is a six-part series where Africa Climate Conversations is partnering with the upcoming Global Landscape Forum, Africa Conference. The GLF 2021 conference will be happening on the 2nd and 3rd of June. It is the first ever digital conference focused entirely on Africa's dryland and how integrative restoration practices can see them flourish again. Now, the Global Landscape Forum Africa Conference is led by the Center for the International Forestry Research, CIFO, and the World Agroforestry Center, ECRAF, in collaboration with its co-founders, UNEP, the World Bank, and the charter members. Now... Research by the World Resources Institute, WRI, indicates that every year, Africa loses nearly 3 million hectares of forest. Now, the continent's 65% of land is affected by degradation, and 3% of its GDP is lost annually from soil and nutrient depletion on cropland. Now, to tackle the high rates of degradation, African countries, after the Paris Agreement, pledged to restore 100 million hectares of land by 2030. Today, Bernadette Araque, a research associate at the WRI Africa Forest Program, says 31 African countries have pledged to restore 128 million hectares of forest by 2030. Of this, 4 million hectares are currently under restoration across the 31 countries. The restoration is under the African Forest Landscape Restoration Initiative, AFR 100. It's a country-led effort contributing to the Bond Challenge, the African Brazilian Landscape Initiative, the African Union Agenda 2063, the Sustainable Development Goals, among other targets. Bernadette, thank you so much for joining us today. Please give us a brief introduction of who Bernadette is. Okay, so yeah, my name is Bernadette Araquille and uh, I am a research associate in the restoration team at WRI and I am based in Rwanda. So right now I'm um, providing technical support to our restoration work across multiple countries on the African continent. I focus on Rwanda, Cameroon, Malawi and Niger as of recent, but our work uh, tends to cover different countries depending on the projects we are also working on. Of course, uh, I'm also part of the AFR 100 team. So yeah, we, we, we have uh, a platform to discuss uh, issues that are ongoing in other countries as well. Thank you so much, Bernadette. So the African Forest Landscape Restoration Initiative, basically AFR 100, <laughs> aims to restore 100 million hectares of deforested and degraded land, degraded land in Africa by 2030. Can you give us a, a, a brief synopsis of when it started? What is it all about? So uh, this, this uh, movement uh, was launched around uh, 2015 after the signing of the Paris Agreement. 
And this is when also multiple African countries came together and made a decision on this goal to launch uh, a coalition of countries that have this uh, audacious goal to 100 million hectares by uh, 2030. So, um, of course, uh, this was also in partnership uh, with uh, the African Union. And with the recent addition of uh, Zambia, we have about uh, 31 countries on the continent that have made a pledge uh, to restore about 128 million hectares by 2030. So you can see that this exceeds the original goal of 100 million hectares, which is great. It's a great ambition. Most of the time you find great ambitions, even in terms of country specific, but then you find in between these, what countries pledge, and then there is what they implement on the ground. What is happening on the ground and where exactly are we? That's a great question, and it's not an easy one. <laughs> and you <laughs> said it very well. There are pledges, and then there's what happens. You know, we yeah. see multiple, uh, I think some of the latest numbers that I have seen uh, report uh, something like 4 million hectares are currently under restoration uh, across, uh, you know, this movement of 31 countries. And yeah, 400 versus 126, you know, there is a huge, huge gap. So yeah, it's uh, there are pledges and then there is what we see in the reports. And we believe that there are multiple uh, reasons, multiple yeah, ways we can explain uh, why this is happening. First, uh, we, we think that there are multiple ways to restore the land, uh, yet we tend to see often our numbers based on where trees are growing. So we may be under-reporting restoration because there are all those other techniques that are not currently being accounted for. And that's one thing. Another thing is maybe there are no good techniques that can allow capturing this information at the scale of the commitment. So maybe I can unpack this a little bit. It's yeah, not yeah. that people don't know what's happening. It's possible that there are multiple studies that are done project level but we tend to see multiple indicators being used, different methods being used, that it, it becomes really hard to consolidate this information. So one of the recent um, uh, initiatives, the initiative that WRI is involved in and collaboration with uh, AUDNAPAD is to explore the best key indicators that uh, can allow tracking progress of restoration at the scale of you know this huge commitment uh, at the scale of this coalition that we have so an ongoing initiative where we are you know exploring beyond tree cover what else can we consider and how can we make sure that the different indicators and methodologies speak to each other so that we can get that consolidated information on what's happening at the scale of the FI 100. Uh, I'm really, really hopeful in it. Uh, I, I have strong hope in that, yeah, that it will allow us to actually capture progress on restoration. Mm. What shows that this is actually, indicates that this is actually part, a country effort on the, the AFR 100? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, the general process, you know, once these countries make this uh, large scale commitment, then the next step becomes how do we translate this, um, you know, national number into concrete actions on the ground. And really, I think that's what you're asking, how are uh, implementing restoration on the ground. Yeah. So yeah, multiple methods. Uh, some um, uh, look at tree planting as a method for restoration. I have maybe to back up a little bit. There is one step that comes after you make the countries make these pledges, which is understanding opportunities for forest and landscape restoration at the country level. You may have come across multiple studies called ROM, so restoration opportunity mapping, where each country is really going on the ground and starts to assess. Where, where where are my opportunities and what are the methods that I can use that are appropriate uh, at my country at the country level, but some also take an extra step to disaggregate those opportunities at different you know administrative boundaries. Uh, you can speak about provinces, sectors, whatever administration administrative boundaries uh, that you have in a country to really identify where restoration is possible. So multiple methods or uh, approaches, including uh, tree planting, if you're talking about mixing trees in crops, which is agroforestry, or reforesting an area that used to be forested, and then uh, for some reason, the, all the forest was uh, wiped out, and then there's an opportunity to reforest that area. It could also be afforestation, you know, putting new trees in areas that are appropriate but uh, did not have trees in the past. Um, mm. There are also uh, natural regeneration. So are there some stocks um, or seed source that can allow natural regeneration in a particular area? We've seen this happening uh, um, in, on farmland in the form of farmer managed natural regeneration where with you know the appropriate techniques the soil uh, if allowed that trees can regenerate the the seeds of the ground that was has been on uh, underground for you know multiple years if you allow with the proper management those trees can regenerate so that's what we see in farmers managed natural regeneration but natural regeneration also can happen in those like areas that are next to natural forest where there is good seed source. Um, there are also other techniques more appropriate to other ecosystems like grasslands, all of that. Um, stakeholders are identifying what is appropriate and what can be done in that area. And another thing I would like to mention is that it's really important during this process to involve all the stakeholders to make sure that whatever restoration being implemented is going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as for instance, the local communities, uh, what tree species would you like to see uh, growing on your land? Or what are your traditional techniques or indigenous knowledge that you were in the past that can contribute to restoration in this area? So really involving the stakeholders understanding their needs uh, can be, is key to making sure that whatever restriction is being implemented is going to be uh, sustainable. 
And how do you ensure in terms of looking, because one of the challenges that has been there is that uh, you find, in, like, for example, in Kenya, there have been a lot of eucalyptus tree species planted in wrong areas. And so um, we also had a case, like you found, uh, there's mm. a lot of studies that have been done in terms of South Africa and, and the water stress issues. How does this project ensure that countries do plant trees, basically, or maybe within their restoration efforts, what practices they are doing are biodiversity-wise are safe, and we do not also have, you know, in, in terms of, of like a country's planning to restore its, uh, its, its forest, then again, there's also a biodiversity issue at the end of the day, or, or maybe uh, water stress, given in terms of the species they are planting, given, of course, we are also in an age where climate change is also leading to water stress in, um, and projected to actually affect African countries further. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. It's true that, you know, some restoration projects have failed. Uh, you give a good example of maybe putting eucalyptus in the wrong places, or generally, let's say, put trees in the wrong places, whether in grassland or areas that were not native. And uh, yes, that has happened, but this is where uh, also technical assistance or yeah, research becomes key to informing restoration not research in terms only of technical assistance, but that research of also speaking to the people that have lived in the, in the landscape for a long time, because they also have this knowledge. I'll give you an example of what we do at WRI. Uh, uh, we use, um, you know, the earth observation, I have mentioned them, the earth satellite imagery to give us an information on historical land cover type and land use types. Mm -hmm. So if we, for instance, that a place used to be a grassland, we would not recommend tree planting in that area. We would uh, recommend, suggest methods that are more appropriate to grassland ecosystems. Mm -hmm. But also talking to those elderly that have been in the environment, you know, you don't need to go actually look at the satellite if you have someone who's lived in a place for 60 years or more. They know, they know what's happening there. So sure. really asking them how, how did this place used to be? What, what practices did you used to have, you know, to, to manage the land in a sustainable way? You can also get this information which can uh, inform um, uh, restoration activities on the ground. Mm -hmm. But I think there's another thing that um, worth mentioning is that when all the movement, you know, the restoration, the momentum, the movement, all the pledges were being done, there was a component that was not being looked at, which is what is going to be the supply of, you know, of the seedlings to, mm -hmm. in order to implement this large scale. Mm -hmm. So this is something that also stakeholders in the different countries have uh, noticed. Right now, there is more emphasis in making sure there's diversity and quality seedlings that can be used uh, to support the restoration activities at scale. And I'll give you an example, uh, starting from Rwanda, where I live. Uh, now uh, they are strengthening the tree seed center and really building the capacity of that institution to make sure you know, that there are staff that understand how to produce quality and diversity seedlings, but also identify what will be the quality seed source so that we can uh, have a stock uh, 
uh, that can supply um, the restoration activities at scale. And this is not specific to Rwanda's. Other, uh, other countries are also considering similar techniques to make sure mm. there's a... So yeah, this will definitely address the biodiversity component moving forward that was sort of not really strong in the initial uh, uh, restoration activities that were using tree planting approaches. Mm. And adding, adding on to that, maybe you could also um, mention maybe some of the challenges that this project has actually had and, and even some of the successes. So the seedling diversity yeah. is mm -hmm. of those uh, challenges. Um, I think another good challenge, great challenge, I should say, is that we this restoration project the, those that are more like large scale tend to be donor driven yeah. and you know the funding ends in mm. maximum five years and we know that restoration you know five years of restoration is not enough you, you have to be looking at a period for you know 10 30 years you know to start reaching some of those uh, goals uh, that are articulated in the in the restoration um activities so yeah that that uh, mismatch between you know funding availability and um, the span of uh, restoration if I can call it so I think that has been um, something that that is uh, hampering the restoration on the ground and something different countries are grappling with and really one way to make sure that funding does not have that huge impact is involving the right stakeholders at the beginning of the project so that maybe when the funding ends, there will be someone on the ground who can continue uh, you know, maintaining the trees, um, doing all the care or uh, all the activities, you know, monitoring everything that is required for, uh, uh, to sustain uh, those uh, uh, initial uh, practices or restoration activities that were done on the ground. So stakeholders becomes key but also maybe exploring diversified funding uh, sources so that maybe when one funding ends, something else can um, chime in to continue the restoration movement. In terms of successes, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I can um, give another example of actually a case from Rwanda where there is this um, private uh, partnership between you know, the owners of the land, the people that have those areas that are being restored and the sponsors uh, that can um, fund or support restoration activities. Some of the things, uh, other observations that have been is that, you know, there are these great initiatives, really the farmers, the owner of the land, they often want trees, but they also don't want to wait for, you know, 10, 20 years yeah. for the tree to be mature and maybe the tree to support uh, to provide those other ecosystem services like erosion control and all of that you know before harvesting the tree the farmer is also you know seeking where am I going to get my fuel wood where am I going to get uh, school fees to pay for my kids so what is happening is uh, an approach that links those restoration activities with good source of funding so that those farmers and landowners can uh, explore alternative livelihoods 
while waiting for the forest to mature. Because as the forest mature, they can reap uh, more benefits, uh, whether ecological or socioeconomic, they harvest the forest after one year or two years, for instance, when there are not uh, those alternative sources. So those linkages with uh, private partners are allowing um, uh, forest to become more healthy, which can also then allow forests uh, to provide better benefits to the owners and the broader, broader society. Yeah, mm. that's uh, one key example I can share. Yeah, fantastic. Bernadette, I want to take you a little back, uh, but back a little bit uh, where we talked about donor funding. I know AFR, um, AFR 100 is actually a country-led effort. But then in often many cases, you find that when um, a project, uh, large scale projects are donor funded, of course, the donor have a specific interest, their own interest when it comes to um, a project they are funding in the global south. And then you find um, some of the project, like you'll find large scale project, uh, restoration project, um, if they, the, the donor actually kind of dictate or maybe have a specific interest on what they want to implement within the global south, does that take away, sometimes it takes away the integrity, well, maybe what that particular community in that particular area would be interested in. And that's why sometimes you find on the ground, you find some of the projects that are being implemented, but then not owned up by the community. And we're talking about mainly large scale project when it comes to restorations. I'm wondering where in terms of funding mechanism, where um, African countries are also uh, finding their own budgets within their own budgets to make sure that they, as much as they are country the, the project is country-led, but then again, even financially has to be country-led, like budgets comes from home, whereby they do the research back at home and identify a specific place needs restoration, and though we need to work with these communities or this specific kind of restorations are required, so we're going to require to actually have budgets from our own so that we can do research and also dictate what kind of restorations we're going to do, or alternatively, does this project also works in terms of where, in terms of the funding mechanism, countries um, get uh, funding from these countries, then implement the projects that they are implementing on the ground, then report on that to the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And I believe something the African countries have observed, and there is this um, move to move away from the strong dependence on, you know, donor. And so that also countries can have a say um, um, on what is happening, what is being uh, implemented in, on their own land. And one way uh, the countries are doing this is to allocate funding to restoration activities. And this is happening in multiple countries, Rwanda included, Kenya included, where, you know, the budgets are, um, I think the first step becomes, you know, how do we mainstream restoration uh, into the other sectors at the national level, so that then, you know, we 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 will we will know that we'll be also working on these other development activities, whether it's job creation, you know, uh, that can come from you know tree planting or even producing those seed, seeds or seedlings to supply restoration. How do we uh, mainstream FRR into like country uh, of goals or country development goals and then allocate budget? So this is happening. Countries are really um, relying. We can see FRR becoming um, a strategy, restoration becoming a strategy uh, in multiple countries policy uh, to, to achieve 
other commitments, whether it's like food security, uh, you know, uh, energy, all of that, FRR is becoming a strong uh, pillar. So with that, a budget is being allocated to restoration to make sure that the countries also have a say and that can fund and support restoration uh, on their own land. But I also believe that countries also want what's good for themselves and by themselves, I mean their people. Mm. So this is then when um, a donor is coming in, there are those um, safeguards, if I may call them so, like there are processes and strategies to make sure that it's not the donor that is dictating what should happen, but more the donor supporting the country in uh, its um, in its uh, strategies. So, and uh, this is, your know, conversations happen at that level to make sure that uh, whatever the donor is proposing uh, is well aligned with what the country wants and the country needs. And th these are the most like recent um, um, partnerships that we see. Uh, I, I've seen large uh, scale restoration movement uh, projects being implemented um, uh, in different countries, like those Jeff funded restoration activities where there are you know, discussions, what, what, do, what does the country need? And this is the information that goes in the proposal when you are developing this project to make sure that countries' voice are heard and uh, countries' needs are put first uh, before what the donor needs. And often with the right conversation, they, we can find this alignment very well so that it's not the donor just dictating, but also his, they are listening to what the country needs. Uh, thank you so much, um, Benedict. I think the final question I just want to ask in terms of, of um, the World Resource Institute does in terms of is heavily in terms of monitoring, working, monitoring the, the AFR uh, restoration project. But I'm wondering in terms of GLF, the, the Global Landscape Forum Africa uh, conference that is actually upcoming, why is it key for the AFR 100? So at this upcoming GLF, yeah, it's going to be uh, important for uh, the World Resources Institute to continue to explore what are the great approaches for monitoring restoration. I think I touched on this earlier on where I said that we are getting good information on where trees are growing, but we know very well that trees, uh, tree cover as an indicator is like one component of what is happening in terms of implementing restoration on, on the ground. So at the upcoming session, we are keen on exploring what is being done, what are the existing methods for tracking restoration, where are the gaps, and maybe what are other institutions that are not so prominent in this um, uh, discussion, what are those institutions, what are they doing that can contribute to um, providing this uh, holistic information on where restoration is happening. Of course, there's going to be um, a need to make sure that whatever other approaches are being made, uh, used, can also provide information at scale. Because if we have a small project monitoring restoration with really methods that are fine tuned to that small area, it's going to be hard to probably translate that to a continental scale. So we are curious to know what other approach can allow monitoring restoration at that large scale so that we can have this 
uh, consolidated information on where restoration is happening, which is key to guide where future restoration should happen. There are limited resources on implementing restoration. So to make sure that whatever funds, whatever uh, technical capacity, whatever resources is available is used in the most efficient way, it is good to know uh, uh, where first restoration is happening and identify what are the other places where restoration should happen. Mm. So that's uh, what we'll be exploring at the GLF. And uh, yeah, I really look forward to uh, having a conversation with multiple partners and uh, yeah, deciding together how we move forward. Yeah, fantastic. Is there a specific fund or uh, a kitty or a specific money allocated in terms of, like you say, 100 billion is allocated for this particular pro um, AFR initiative for countries that kitties they can draw from? Uh, not that I know of at the moment, something that would be great to have. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that would be my answer. <laughs> so basically, it's um, uh, a country commits and then a, um, a donor funds that country, or how does it work in terms of the funding? A country commits, yeah, uh, donors uh, can fund specific countries or they can fund uh, projects at the, that are cross-cutting, um, uh, that, cr that cross-cut multiple countries. So that's how it has been done. But yeah, what you suggest on maybe having a funding allocated to at that scale would be great to have maybe something similar to the, what the Great Green Wall has done. I believe they have 14 billion or something mm. for that. Uh, uh, area. So yeah, it would be great to have something similar across the AFR 100 countries. Yeah. Fantastic, Bernadette. Thank you so much for finding time. I sincerely appreciate it. Um, maybe your final word before we wrap it up. Oh, uh, my final word. Uh, yeah, restoration is needed. <laughs> Definitely on the African continent, but really putting uh, people first uh, and then yeah, involving all the key stakeholders uh, in activities, in restoration activities, is going to uh, lead to sustainable uh, restoration uh, outcome on the African continent. Thank you so much, Bernadette. Thank you. Please remember the GLF Africa Conference happens next week on the 2nd and 3rd of June. It will be held online. In case you haven't registered and would like to attend, please click on the link on our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com to register. And while at it, please remember to subscribe to our weekly podcast. You can also leave us your feedback or write to us using info at africaclimateconversations.com. Now, the episode is part of the restoration of the African Dryland Series, a six-part series on the upcoming Global Restoration Forum Africa Conference led by the Center for the International Forestry Research, CIFOM, and the World Agroforestry Center in collaboration with its co-founders, UNEP, the World Bank, and charter members. So we finalize the Financing Change Series on Thursdays. So that means I will see you next week on Tuesday, where we will be talking to several champions on African drylands. But for now, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogo. Inaendeshwa na Afripods.